You are now listening to the Hunter's Advantage Podcast. We preserve the history and sport of hunting through curious conversation and action-packed hunts, as well as offering you tips and strategy for more successful hunts. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Hunter's Advantage Podcast. This is episode number 123, and today I'm joined by Chad Haleski. It's Get More Game Recovery. That's that's your uh, tracking service, correct? Yeah. Yep. Okay, cool. Well, me and Jake uh, met you on TikTok, and we wanted to bring you on. It's obviously deer season is in the middle. It's it's full swing right now. For some people, it's been open a month and a half. Some, it's just been open, you know, 15 days. Um, how's it been for you, the, the first part of the season? You've been staying busy? Oh yeah. Extremely busy. Um, our season opened, uh, October 1st, you know, so we had a weekend that we threw in there, but it's been crazy. I mean, yeah, everybody gets in that panic mode the first couple days of season when they can't find their animal. And, um, luckily I'm, I'm able to work with a couple guys in my area that try to get as many people as help as we can, but you know, there's just certain deer that, you, you try to help everybody, but there's certain ones you just can't, you can't go after because it's just, you know, I don't want to say a waste of time, but you know, you try to save yourself for the ones that you can recover and the ones that you're just going to chase cross County. You try to keep yourself away from. Yeah, so. that's for So starting a little more high level, wh- how long have you been tracking deer, um, with dogs and when, what, what kind of got you into this? This is my fourth season. So, I mean, I'm fairly new to it. I've seen a pile of situations, that's for sure. Um, The reason I got into it is I was a pretty successful bow hunter, you know, for Michigan standards, I would say. Um, I had a pretty good track record. I got lucky, didn't didn't lose many animals. And then I had a deer that I was watching pretty close to home and got my opportunity and, you know, it – waited for the perfect shot, quartered away, put it in the last rib, arrow hit, had no penetration. Seen the deer run off, um, waited four or five hours, went in with a buddy of mine. We tracked for like two or three hours, had decent blood. Um, Deer started doing some funny things. So we kind of were wondering what was going on with it. And then we got two inches of rain that night. and I, I remember looking at my buddy and it's like two in the morning and looking at him, like, what do we do? You know, it, it, and I finally just said, we got to call it. We'll come back in the morning. And we looked the next day and, you know, it just, it burns, you know, it, you, you, you hit a deer like that that you've been watching all year. So I remember sitting down the next day and, and being like, what, what do I do? You know, I, I had heard about dogs that tracked um, wounded animals, but, I didn't know anybody, didn't know how to get in contact with anybody. I love running dogs, had beagles, bird dogs, you know, kind of quit doing that. I figured I wasn't going to quit deer hunting. So I'm like, well, I'll consider it, you know, and, um, yeah, that's kind of how I got into it. So it took me a little bit to kind of figure out what kind of dog I wanted. Ended up always wanting a bloodhound, so that's kind of the direction I went went with it. And uh, yeah, I mean, they're they're a different breed, that's for sure. But um, they're fun, you know. So they do a good job of what they do. 
So, uh, how old your uh, your like primary dog, or do you have more than one? I have a pair, um, a pair. and my male is. They're both three. Um, both three. My yeah. male is going to be four here in March, and my female she just turned three. So now, my how main, old my are, main dog is my male. Oh, okay. just my main dog is my male. So. I got you. I got you. So, uh, how old are they when you first start like getting them and training them? Um, my male, I picked him up when he was 10 weeks old and mm-hmm. I kind of had the idea that I wanted to teach him to track. Um, didn't really know anything about it. I mean, you kind of have the fundamentals of it with, when it comes to any kind of deer or you know, with hunting dog, but started watching some local guys, you know, after I got, you know, had lost that deer, um, started watching some guys in Michigan, um, you know, and, and, and they were posting a lot of training tips, stuff like that. So I kind of started rolling with that. Um, and yeah, then I, I want to say we probably started training probably, I don't know, within, within a month of me getting them, you know, so he was pretty young and it was the, the, the initial training was, it was more to teach him to learn to trust his nose. So I got a couple young kids. So, I mean, we had a hay field next to the house. I'd tell the kids to go run in the hay field and go lay oh. down and let the dog <laughs> find him, you know, and that made him rely on his nose because of the, the hay was tall enough. He couldn't see. Mm, so he had gotcha. to use his nose. So, you know, and then we just progressed into using deer hooves. Um, and that's mainly what we started with. I talked to a couple guys after I got rolling with it about using deer blood. And they said, if you can get them trained on, on deer hooves and deer scent that way, because people aren't calling you if they have blood, right. You know, so that's, you know, none of my dog, neither of my dogs have been trained on blood. The blood helps, you know, it's definitely an advantage when you have a track, but they're not looking for blood. Mm-hmm. So. I got you. Yeah, the only reason I asked that is because uh, Christian got one October first, and he had to have a dog come in, and that thing, it was, it had to be fresh out of the womb because I mean, the thing probably just learned how to walk, and it was on, it was on this big long leash, and it ended up finding it. But I was just like, I, mm-hmm. I can't even get my my twelve year old dog to sit, so I, I don't even understand how you all can uh, can manage to get one to track. Yeah, well, me- it's. Let me explain that situation a little more. So this guy, I shot this deer, no penetration on the first shot. He walks out to 25 yards, shoot him hardcore and away. Like you're saying last rib, no penetration on that shot. And I'm like, awesome. So I just poked two holes in this deer and both arrows. I watched the arrows. They're still both in him. And my buddy says, Hey, uh, you know, one of my other buddies just got a dog and he wants to try it out on this track. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to have any blood. So why not? Why not try it out? And he, I said, how old is the dog? And he said, it's six months old. And I'm like, okay, you know, six months old. He brings out this new, this blue lacy, and it's just a beautiful dog. Um, and we start tracking and he's like, yeah, her, her birthday was July 1st or something like that. I was like, this dog's three months old, you know, it weighs like, just like 10 pounds or something. And ended up finding the deer 297 yards down the trail, found the deer. Yep. Have you heard of a deer getting found by a, a dog younger than that? Uh, you know, last year we had, a uh, some pups out of my, the pair of dogs that I have. And 
they were born October 2nd. Um, and I'm trying to think everybody, a lot of them went to their new homes, like Thanksgiving time. And our season goes till January 1st. And the one guy I actually deal with quite often, um, he has a beagle that he uses, but then he picked up a bloodhound from me. But he had that dog out, you know, before season was ended last year, um, mainly for the experience. You know, I, I guess that's biggest thing is is when they get to that, you know, what age they're starting at, you know, because it's a natural instinct for a dog to track. They just need to figure out what they're supposed to be tracking, what they're not supposed to be tracking, you know, so... But yeah, that's that's quite young. Um, but once they get once they get it in their head, you know, I, I would say that they could probably do a pretty decent job at a young age. That's pretty so, awesome. Yeah. So you say you've been doing this for a uh, a few years. What are some of the more common mistakes that you see people do that usually doesn't end up in their favor, or it leads to a more extensive track job that could probably be resolved if they would have did the correct thing um not leaving the, the animal long enough really a lot of times guys get fired up you know and i'm one of them you know yeah. it's oh, funny, yeah. the last two years <laughs> i i killed you know two decent deer that i was l- watching all year and and there's just like a community of, of guys after i've got into this um but i i shot the guy at tax you know a guy that i deal with quite often and I says, hey, quarter away shot, not a pass through, you know, looked like it was carrying a, the opposite front leg. What would you give it? And he's like, ah, better give it overnight. You know, and I just remember sending him back, you know, like bleep, 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 you know, and he's like, what, what do you got going on? I'm like, well, this is my deer. He's like, ah, give it three, four hours. You'd probably be fine. You know, but so I get it. You know, it's hard. It's easy for me on the other end to say, let that animal lay for six, 12, 24 hours. Mm-hmm. But a lot of guys don't, can't do it. You know, they, yeah. they just got to go and I got a little blood. I got to keep going. You know, I'll just go 10 more yards. I'll go 10 more yards and all of a sudden this thing busts out and it takes off. And then there's no blood. There's no sign. Now we don't have a sense of direction of where it's going. So that is probably the number one thing that people run into is they uh, just don't give it enough time. What's a good sign to, back out of the blood trail like obviously if it's like marginal blood or whatever and you can tell the type of blood but is there anything else besides that that's just like hey i should probably you know back it out and give it a second um one thing that's really nice about bow season is your archery season even with crossbows these high speed crossbows for the most part guys archery hunting can see where they hit so Mm -hmm. you have that key which is great um when it comes to rifle season they're standing out there 100, 200, 300 yards. And guys are like, yeah, I shot it. It was standing out here in the field somewhere. I don't have a clue. So with archery season, it's good because they get an idea of where the animals hit. So that's one key thing. Um, you have a pretty good idea if the animal's broadside, quartered two or quartered away. The reaction out of the animal, you know, a lot of time with archery, you don't have the gun going off. So these deer aren't startled as, as bad. So if you get like a liver or a gut hit, you know, you get that reaction, you get the, the tail wagging or the hunched up and they just walk off. Um, and with the arrow, you get the clue, you know, with the bullet, you don't get to retrieve your bullet with the arrow. You can walk up if you have a pass through and say, I got, you know, stomach contents on here. Um, 
I got dark blood. I have fat. I have, you know, you have something to look at. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's, we always tell people after they shoot an animal, you know, and they question it, get good pictures of your bolt, your arrow, um, the fletchings, something that we're, they can send us and that we can look at and be like, okay, we can see, you know, like a liver hit actually will look like a little bit of a, it almost looks like coffee grounds on like a fletching, um, which a lot of people just, they don't see that, you know, but when you see a hundred arrows a year, you know, it's, it's easy to pick out. And there's guys that are really good at reading that sign, you know, over the last few years, I've gotten a lot better at it, but at first it's like, Oh, you know, it's, there's so much, you know, that you can see. And depending on an angle that you have, you know, cause you could, a guy could say that he hit a deer quartered away from him and it went in the guts, but the arrow says all muscle blood. Mm-hmm. Well, we got to see where the exit is. If the exit came out in the front leg, well, there's muscle there. So you're getting that muscle blood from that, you know? So there's a lot of, a lot of, clues that we kind of look for so i mean knowing the reaction out of the animal is is huge getting an idea what you have for sign on your bolt or your arrow um you know any blood that's on the ground that you're seeing or you know if you're seeing stomach content stuff like that i mean that's when you call me i'm going to tell you you know hey we should wait six hours we should wait 12 hours you know this time of year where it starts cooling off and the rut starts kicking in, we'll push stuff past, you know, out to 24 a lot of times, Really, hmm. you know, so it's, it's crazy. It's, I might be kind of getting off subject here, but you know, this time of year when it cools off, the um, septic doesn't set, set in as fast. So it takes longer, you know, for your, your gut shots and your liver hits to kill that animal. Oh, so, okay. That makes sense. So like I just talked to a guy today that he, a liver hit is like six to 12 hours and he jumped it at 21. It was still really? alive. <laughs> so, but hitting a high liver compared to hitting a low liver makes a huge difference. So, you know, it's, why is they're that? not all, all created equal. <laughs> um, your low liver has everything settles to the bottom of the liver. Okay. So you're, you have more toxins in the bottom of the liver. So that gets into the bloodstream and it poisons the deer faster. Okay. Hmm. I didn't know so, that. Yeah. I mean, so, it's just stuff over and over, you know, that you see and you think, you know, the last one was dead in six hours. Why is this one still alive? And then, you know, this stuff starts clicking. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I talked to a lot of guys that, you know, run dogs and it, the stuff I can learn from them, you, the, that knowledge, you can't just, you can't gain this quick doing it yourself right well it seems like it's always funny to me when i hear people uh like anecdotally arguing with people that that track you know like let's say i've seen in my life 25 deer hit and killed jake's seen 25 his own experience you might see us combined twice in one season what we see and after three four five seasons compounding we we've seen 50 in our lifetime you've seen 500 in the last five years and so that always just that always cracks me up a little bit of everyone's like no this is what you ought to do or this this is how you track i mean they have anecdotal like evidence yeah like well this one time 
I saw a deer liver hit and died immediately. And it's like, okay, Jim Bob, maybe, maybe that did happen one time, but um, zooming out maybe a little bit. I think a lot of folks think a dog, the reason for a dog is coming in to help you find blood or help you track blood. What is it in um, what gland and what is it secreting? And what is your dog? Like you're saying, you want to train a dog, not on blood to track actual scent. What is it that they're tracking actually? So there's a gland that's the gland that we train on is a gland that's between the, the toes and there, it actually, the gland goes in there quite a ways. And if you, if you ever get a chance to look at it, um, you can pretty much bury a Q-tip up in that gland. It's that deep, but anyways, it's an interdigital gland and it's the same gland that it individualized. It's like a fingerprint for that deer. So it's the same gland that the scent comes out when he's making a scrape. So that's why every deer in the, the area knows this buck was here. So that kind of puts him off, you know, every deer gives them their own fingerprint. But when that fight or flight, you know, kicks in when a deer's hit by an arrow, um, there's a huge scent dump right there. And it, a lot of it comes out of those glands. And if you ever noticed um, a hit deer, if you ha can see the hoof prints in the dirt, they're always split toe. And when they're split toe, it's just, they're just dumping scent, dumping scent, dumping scent. So that's what we're trained on. Now that, that individualizes that deer, but when you, the farther along you get with a dog, you know, then you start running into different scent. They start, you know, the, they'll actually pick up like, hair follicles off that deer you know somebody gets stressed out you know they say i'm pulling you know my hair is falling out well it's true you know so a deer gets hit like that and they just that that stress hits them you know they got hair follicles dropping they got skin cells dropping um obviously you're going to have some blood that's going to be dropping if you don't have the blood if you have like a gut hit or a intestine hit you're going to have like clear fluids stuff like that. Everybody smelled a gut shot, you know, that stuff a dog can pick up on. Like, you know, in all honesty, when somebody calls and say they have a gut shot and they didn't push it, it's like, you don't want to say it's a guarantee, but you know that the dog's going to have something to follow. Um, but yeah, stuff like that. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of, I mean, there's, there's even talk that these dogs are able to smell the breath of the deer because they're breathing so hard, but how do you prove it? You know, but yeah. there's so many things that are, this deer is putting off that it get, you know, they're just, just that many more pieces of the puzzle that that dog's putting together. And the, the, the longer a dog does it, the more, the easier they can solve that problem. So. Do you think stepping on, so we talk, I've talked to some folks and, you know, you talk about people not waiting long enough for their shot. Well, if somebody's not waiting long enough for their shot, they're obviously going to be walking up the trail where they, saw the deer leave or where the blood is, you know, sparsely taking them. What does that do to the disruption of the scent path for the dog when three or four guys are stomping all over it? It, uh, any piece of that scent that's on a boot or rubbed up against pants and then everybody starts grid searching that takes that scent and just spreads it, you know? So when, when we bring a dog in there, that dog is, you know, there's an illustration out there that 
you know, shows like a deer leaving a shot site in the, uh, up in the snow is just that one single track that leaves. But then you take four or five guys out there that can't see that track and start wandering around. That's kind of what the dog sees. And, you know, I guess that's the best way to illustrate it is it's just pure chaos. I mean, there's just scent spread all over the place. I mean, I went on tracks before where guys, you know, yeah, we walked over here. We never found blood, but we got up here a hundred yards and we had blood on our pants. And they didn't even know where they hit it, you know, cause it gets underneath leaves, you know, tall grass, stuff like that. Well, you start doing circle after circle and that dog's trying to figure that out. That just makes it that much harder on that dog. So, we, you know, I tell people, if you're thinking about having a dog come out, I recommend, you know, if you get to that point where you, you think you need to back out, you run out of sign, back out. If hold off on grid searching, if you want a dog to come in, we'll come in, we'll do our thing. If we can't come up with a deer, grid search it. I mean, you're not out anything at that point, but if you come in and grid search it before the dog comes in, then it, it makes it that much harder. I mean, just you, you take the deck and it's stacked in your favor and then you just start knocking it down every time you, you know, throw something else in there, the equation, you know, and it just makes it that much harder on a dog. Yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting to me. What, I mean, what, it, what I'm hearing and kind of what I've heard from several different tracking folks is the time to be diligent. If you want to recover that animal is before you take up the track. Like mm -hmm. in my mind, the kind of the way I rationalize bringing a dog the other day, this is my first experience with a dog. You know, I've seen other folks do it and be successful, but was, Hey, if there's enough blood for us to find this deer, the dog's not going to mess it up. You know, like mm -hmm. the dog, the dog walking of the trail, like I'm going to be able to visually cue on it and see it. Um, but it sounds like, it sounds like to me, uh, you really just need to be diligent in the beginning. Um, and not get too antsy on going up that trail. seems like that would help a lot, which like you're saying, I don't oh, think yeah. most folks can do. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I've been in the, them shoes before and you know, it, it's hard like, when you hit an animal and you, you know, it could be something you've been watching all year or two years, but you finally get your opportunity and, and say that shot's not what you want. The first thing you want to do is run up there and, you know, look at the signs, see what you have. And then, like I said, it, it happens real quick. All of a sudden it's, I'm just going to go 10 yards and then it's 20 and then it's 30. And then all of a sudden we're a quarter mile into it and we, we don't have an animal yet. So, you know, I tell a lot of people that some of these shots that they make, they wouldn't even need a dog if they had just left it. Hmm. Have you had anybody call you and you basically just had to tell them just like, I'm not coming out. There's probably nothing we can do about that. Have you had to turn down any calls like that or? Yeah. Um, early in the season, you know, we take as much as we can. It's kind of slow. I shouldn't say slow, but you're, you can only do so much training, you know, not, there's no training like the real thing, you know? So mm -hmm. like Michigan has a youth hunt. It's early September. Um, you know, I take every one of them I can and I, I kind of chalk them up as training for me, you know, cause we got kids out there with guns. A lot of these kids are pretty young. They're shooting a small caliber. A lot of times the tracks probably don't necessarily need a dog. You know, probably some of them are pretty good shots, but we take all of them we can just so we're ready October 1st when bow season shows up. Um, but 
you get like here in the next week, Michigan, you know, anything after October 20th, it's going to start getting pretty crazy here for deer movement. Um, and you get guys that are, I hit it high in the shoulder. I got three inches of penetration, pretty much the arrow snapped off. And the only thing I'm missing is my insert and my broadhead. It's pretty hard to go after those deer, you know, cause, cause you're out spending a couple hours looking for deer that you're, you know, I, I always tell people it's like 10% chance of recovery, but it's probably less than five on a shoulder hit deer. Um, especially we don't have any penetration. So you're out there, you're burning, you're burning time, you're burning energy, you're burning out a dog, you know, cause a dog can only work so much. Um, I got the easy job. I just, you know, walk behind him. You know, so he's the one that's got to do all the work. So a lot of times, you know, high shoulder shots, you know, the no man land, they call it, but it's high back strap, you know, the stuff like that, that mm-hmm. the deer is not going to die from that shot. It's, you know, if it dies, it's going to be from infection, you know, days later. So we can't, I tell people we can't make the deer dead. You know, so, so so as soon as you started talking about shoulder i looked at christian and christian was starting to smile and we had this question that that's that's been kind of boiling around is it better to hit a deer like in the shoulder or just a little bit further back like marginal gut where it could i guess yeah i guess that's what i'm trying to say is a shoulder shot better than a gut shot if you call me if you hit it in the guts, I'm coming. If you hit it in the shoulder, I'm probably not coming. Okay. <laughs> that answered your question. Yeah, it did. <laughs> so um, my biggest thing, you know, shoulders, it, with some of the stuff anymore, it, and you, we've got, I don't want to say a fad, but, you know, the mechanical to fixed blade broadhead kind of discussion at this point. And I don't know if people are trying to, to prove a point shooting through the shoulders. Um, you know, when I grew up, there was no crossbows, you know, that we were, when I started hunting, I should say. So I remember, you know, back in the day when these arrows were shooting, I don't know, 190, 200 feet per second, and you were shooting big old aluminum logs out there, you know, yeah. it seemed <laughs> like every is. week. Yeah. It's like every week, you know, between a, a relative, a buddy, somebody, you were out chasing a shoulder shot around cause you just didn't get through. So it was always kind of ingrained in us to, you know, stay back a little bit, get into the lungs. Obviously back then we didn't have dogs, you know, we didn't know anybody. It was pretty, it wasn't that popular to use a dog to track, but now, you know, if you hit that hard shoulder, you hit that front leg and the arrow stops, you know, you're kind of, it's done at that point, you know, but if, if you get a pass through, you know, a one long liver gut we call it trifecta you know that's a dead deer you just got to give it the time and you know normally if that deer is not pushed that deer is dead within uh, a lot of them don't make it 500 yards you know and they're dead in their first bed well it seems like me you talked about fat a little bit and i mean i mean i don't even want to get into the fixed versus mechanical debate but it seems like everyone is in this this high foc this heavy arrow this ranch very piss missile kind of like that kind of thing these days and Mm -hmm. you know wherever you land on on i guess that side of the fence is kind of irrelevant 
but it, it seems like to me, um, folks think that, well, one, I'm shooting a super heavier. I mean, I'm shooting a 600 grain arrow or I'm shooting a crossbow. I can break through these shoulders. I've seen so many comments from folks. Oh, I can bust shoulders. Oh, I break shoulders. I'm like, I'm not saying you can't, Mm -hmm. but if you had to put a gun to my head and say, all right, you get, you know, you, I don't, I would never say, you know, you should miss hitting someone on the shoulder or miss hit one in the guts, but those things happen. If I had to miss two inches left or two inches right, or, or I'm going for the, I'd rather be in the guts than the shoulder. It just seems like so many folks just don't agree with that. Shoulders on the outside of the rib cage. If you can get inside the rib cage, you're in good, you're in good spot. You know what I mean? Um, a sho- I mean, you have to poke through that shoulder and get in the rib cage to do any damage. So that's the way I look at it. And there's a p- big pile of goodies behind that shoulder. I get that. But you're going to do the same effect, like you said. If you, I'd rather have a deer with two holes running away that I poked a hole mm-hmm. in on both sides than something that I just hit real hard and yeah. startled them or something like that. Is there? Do you keep any data or any sort of maybe anecdotally in your head of kind of recovery percentages on different types of hits. So shoulder to liver to guts to a combo, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, rough, you know, there's some guys that get really into it when it comes busy season. I, I don't have time to write it all down. I mean, I've had guys tell me you should write notes and chapters and books and, you know, I'm just trying to get something to eat between tracks sometimes. Um, (laughs) there's, I always tell people that on a, on a gut shot, I would say that as long as we don't run into property stops or a coyote pushing it or, um, yeah, those are two big things, but like a a gut shot, I would say that 90% of them deer are recoverable. Um, but like, you're talking to, and when I say a gut shot, I'm think I'm talking like a stomach, um, you know, maybe hopefully catching something else, a liver or a lung, a straight intestine shot is a, is a whole nother animal. Um, shoulder shots, like I said, I would say that are probably, I always tell, we tell people we find one out of 10, you know, but it's probably one out of 20. Um, God, that is so low. Yeah. And it, and that's the people calling me, you know what I mean? Cause so these guys that are punching through the shoulder, obviously, well, well, I killed it. Well, yeah, but the, the, what I'm, the data I'm looking at is the ones that call me, you know what right. I mean? So when they're calling me they're, they, they can't find it. So the chances of finding it are pretty slim because like you said, there's a pile of goodies behind them front shoulders. So if you poke through them front shoulders, you probably not needing the dog, you know, if the deer's dead. So but you know them them hit back deer you know they're they're the ones that bleed a little ways 50 60 100 yards and then they quit bleeding so those are the ones we get called into quite a few times i got another question we kind of talked about you know hitting one of the guts versus hitting one of the shoulder i mean the only reason i'm talking about those two differences is because like if you hit in between that you're probably not calling anyone with a dog you know you're probably hitting some lungs yeah. and you don't need one um if you would rather from a tracking perspective or a recovery rate would you do you do better on deer that are hit let's say right behind the shoulder hit high or hit low if you had to miss one or the two which one was a better miss 
if you, well, if you get, see, like we talk about that no man's land hit high, but really, you know, I, I'm a true believer there is no no man's land. It's, it's above the spine. There's, there's a pretty good above that spine. Um, I call it a shark fin, but like between the shoulders, I mean, there's four or five, you know, on a big deer, there's six inches there where, you know, and then plus uh, looking at an animal from a stand, there's what another inch, inch and a half of hair. So a lot of guys, well, I hit it a little high, you know, but that little high is normally above the, above the spine. So, you know, if somebody says, well, I hit one high, the chances of me coming out on some of those are, are, especially in the busy season are going to be tough. Now, if you say you hit one low, I would say you probably have a better chance of, of recovering a deer hit low than you do high just for the simple reason of gravity pulls on everything. So your lungs and your heart, all your stuff is, you know, all the good stuff is laying in the bottom of the chest cavity. You know, not, there's not a whole lot up high in the chest cavity, not to mention you have gravity working for you. So you got blood pulling out. You're not waiting for this blood to come up, up out of this animal and then start dripping down the hair, you know, and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I would say low is probably better than, than a high hit. I've seen, cause in my personal experience hitting some deer low, um, I've seen some kind of act like that liver, that gut response, that kind of hunched up like, ah, you know, I got two holes on either side of me, but it seems like when I hit it, if I've ever hit a deer higher, when I have, it's like that get the hell out of Dodge kind of response. Like I got to get out of here. That hurt. Something just poked me. But when I hit them low, like, like under the heart, you know, I'm talking two inches above the white or an inch above the white, barely hitting there sometimes not even getting to the cavity. It just seems like those deer to me react a lot more hurt than a deer that gets poked high. I don't know why that is. Maybe that's just my experience. I think it has a lot to do with the muscle that they have in their chest, you know, the bottom of their, their brisket and the bottom of their chest cavity. I mean, and there's plenty of muscle up top too, but you know, I think it's, I just talked to a hunter here the other day. He says, what killed this animal? You know, what killed this deer? He shot a doe. And he pretty much sliced her from armpit to armpit and never poked inside the rib cage. He's like, what, you know, I says either blood loss or I said, you know, you, if you were to pop a hole in that chest cavity, it wouldn't have to be much, but the pressure, you know, the chest cavity needs that, that pressure to work. And what happens is actually it collapses the lungs. You know, mm -hmm. if you get, if you get a hole in that chest cavity, you don't even have to actually hit anything, but if they have, you have enough time, it'll actually, the lungs will collapse and then it just suffocates. But you know, I did that myself. You know, I, a few years ago, I hit one, a doe low like that and I had snow on the ground. It was prior to me having a dog and, you know, it, she did that same, you know, like you were talking, she took off like she was hitting the gut. She ran about, I don't know, 20, 30 yards, actually just about within range to shoot again and just kind of hunched up and I could see the blood just pouring out of her and she made it like a hundred yards and bedded down. I waited an hour, went out there and she had jumped up and luck, like I said, I had snow, so I was able to track her pretty easy, but I mean, it was probably 500, 600 yards, but I found her dead, you know? So it was just, I was still, you know, that's the only thing I'd come up with. I, I must've either popped a hole in her chest cavity and, you know, her lungs collapsed or what, but it, nothing looked, None of the goods were hit. We'll put it that way. Have you experienced like P 
people's minds don't necessarily remember the shot the way it actually happened before. Because for me, a lot of times, if let's say a buck or even sometimes a doe walks in and she's like, you know, you're going to shoot your mind sort of gets fuzzy and you're kind of operating on muscle memory, you know, drawing back the bow, getting your anchor points and all that stuff. And have you noticed that, that, that some people are off when it comes to where they think they hit and maybe they're just kind of, their minds making up places. Like let's say they shoot and they don't really remember, but they think they, you know, they hit it good right behind the shoulder. And then you actually get the recover the arrow. And it's like, could be like that muscle uh, blood you're talking about, or it could be all that bile and guts and stuff like that. Does that happen more often than not? Yeah, I guess with like my interview process, you know, I kind of go through a few different things. And one of my questions is, is I always send them a, I have a grid on a deer and I always send them the question, where do you think you hit it? You know, not because and normally they'll tell them, you know, they'll give me an idea. And some of them are really good. Some of them, you know, if we recover the deer are way off, you know, and I think what it comes down to is they, they have it, they have it stuck in their minds. So I don't even know how to say that. Like they, they're, they're telling you what they wanted to see, you know, because it was right behind the shoulder and you know, I, I will tell a lot of people, well, if it's right behind the shoulder, you're not calling me. So, but yeah, there, there's a lot of, you know, you get them quartered away shots or quartered two shots and, you know, or people don't realize how much they're quartering, you know, and, and, uh, yeah. So they think, they think they had a, a better shot than what they actually did. And that's where all them clues come into play. Cause then it turns into, then I have to make the decision and I'm not even the one that's there, you know, what's hit, what's not hit, you know, how long do we have to let this thing lay stuff like that? I got you. So that's where the you know good pictures and stuff are are huge for us. Mm -hmm. As as folks that are trying to, for lack of a better term, kill animals with a sharp stick, do you think that it's it's wise for people to, um, let's say you you shoot a deer and you're like, okay, you know maybe I, maybe didn't get a ton of penetration, the shot was you know an inch or two higher than I thought it was supposed to be. Um, do you think it's better to always assume the worst case scenario? So say okay, I, I think I actually did legitimately double lung this deer, but I'm going to play it like a single lung for, mm -hmm. for, because one of the mantras that I hear all the time from the people that I've grown up hunting around is like, well, if he's dead now, he's going to be dead in three hours or he's going to be dead in six hours. How do you feel about that? I'm a true believer in that. Like I said, it's easy for me to say on the other end, but, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, like you said, if it's dead now, it'll be dead in three hours. Um, I get a lot of guys that'll push like early season. Well, you know, the meat's going to be spoiled or there's a lot of coyotes here. If we don't do something, you know, the coyotes are going to get it. And I get it, but you know, I kind of tell people a spoiled deer and a deer not recovered tastes the same. You don't eat either one of them, you know? So, I mean, it just, but if you have that closure, you have an idea what happened to it. I mean, I guess I I'd rather see a deer recovered than a deer pushed into somewhere, you know, cause we didn't wait long enough, mm -hmm. but how much harder is it on from a tracking perspective with a dog? If you've jumped a deer, does it, does it make it a lot harder for you guys? Um, it's, it's not terrible. Cause then we have a, 
a lot of so we always start at, at shot site so sometimes if, you know if you start at shot site and the hunter is able to track a deer half a mile and then they jump it you know instead of us going starting at shot site now it's we can start at that bed where it's jumped so it takes you know it's saving that dog you know because the dog physically you know like my dogs long legs so walking long distance is no big deal it's more a mental drain for them they're trying to figure out the whole time that they're on this track where if i can cut a half a mile out of this track and just start at the blast bed it's a huge advantage to us that you can't always do it but you know for the most part if if, a, if the first bed is within a couple hundred yards i'm always starting at shot site so so jumping a deer is not a big deal the biggest problem we run into with jump deer here in michigan a lot of i'm sure it's everywhere but a lot of ground is 20 40 60 acres yeah so then once this deer's jumped i mean we can cross we can cross 80 100 acres in a matter of minutes you know tracking so it's a big deal to have permission from neighbors prior to me getting there i always ask if there's any property line issues um michigan you have to have permission to cross a line from that property owner you can't just go um you know and i always tell people hey you better make sure that they're good with a dog because last thing i need is to be on somebody's trail camera walking a dog across you know especially with cell cams they're going to get it instantly you know and people wondering who the heck's back there or some coon hunter or something you know so then all of a sudden it just it starts another problem um so yeah i always that's the biggest problem that we run into with jump deer is is just getting on property we can't we're not supposed to be on what's the longest track you've ever been on last year we were able to recover one at three thousand yards really what? <laughs> yeah so killed so, that one that was in our firearm season and it was hit back um deer was quartered to the hunter when he shot didn't realize it was quartered as much as it was um went in and actually we found the first bed really close you know and so we actually i'm trying to think how that all went found a bed close and that was within the first 100 yards maybe and then it made it probably another 200 yards found another bed and then it went back it actually crossed the road behind where we had our trucks parked and the hunter and their, his son were like you know what do you want to do you want to wait you want to keep going and um we were good with permission so we just kept right on going but what ended up happening it was the, the deer literally was a couple hundred yards ahead of us you know I, a lot of times i want to say that that deer probably was just out of uh flashlight view you know it would it would bed and we just run it till it, it didn't have any more steam left but so so yeah it was we kind of pushed that one probably more than what we should have but with, with a you know with firearm season it's kind of a whole nother animal here they're hurting a little bit worse you know and stuff like that so we were we were going to have some pretty bad weather come in that night so we kind of decided to push it a little bit and you know it worked out for us but yeah that would have been my farthest Dad, yeah i was trying to do the math basically the whole time you're talking and and stick with me because i'm a little slow 
You said 3,000 3, yards, something like that? Mm-hmm. That's, that's like what, like a mile and a half? Yeah. Almost two miles. Right okay. around a mile and a half. Okay, see? I'm smart. And the thing is, is we're, from where we started to where we ended, we weren't very far. But, you really? know, from it just, you know, zigzag because, you get, you know, we got a lot of ag ground here. And so it was staying in some thick cover, you know, and it was dodging here and going on this ditch line and this fence line. And, you know, so it just kind of did, you know, like I said, it just snaked around everything. And in all honesty, it's not like we had to walk very far back to our trucks. But yeah, hmm. but, that's pretty awesome. Have you ever had any, you know, horror stories of folks that, you know, would have said, no, I'd bet my firstborn child that this deer's dead. Y'all, you just can't find it. You know, this is, dogs don't work. This is BS kind of thing. Have you ever had an experience like that? Um, yeah, I mean, I everyone when you can't find it, you know, you can make up any story you want. Um, <laughs> so it, it's it's a little tough because you want everybody to to trust you when you go out there, and when you don't have anything to go off of, you know, it's always nice to get that little smear of blood on a leaf or something just to prove that you're on the right track um you know my first year tracking my dog was young i mean seven eight months old put him on anything i could um did quite a few recoveries that year um but we got into you know year two year three it got to the point where when that dog decided to track you followed along you didn't question him i screwed the dog up more times in the first two years than than he ever screwed me up um you know for instance last year i had a guy that he had shot at two deer the same night um same stand and i guess that might be a little michigan has a combo tag you can kill you can kill two bucks and you just get your tags at the beginning of the year you can shoot them the same day i know like i got a buddy in iowa he's like you know we can only shoot one in this season and one in that season but Anyways, he, he shot two deer in the same stand the same night. One was east of him, one was west of him. The one he shot that was to the east of him, he hit, you know, it was a quarter two shot, one long liver gut, had, you know, stomach matter all over the arrow. Went back and up to the stand, shot the second buck, that buck went west. We come in there the next, he went out there, got his buck that went west, that was double long, no big deal. We went there the next morning, to track the one that went east because he ran out of blood we took off 200 300 yards we hit our first bed thought it was a little bit odd that the deer wasn't in the first bed because the deer wasn't pushed too hard that night um found a second bed within 20 30 yards and we didn't find any sign after that you know we were just getting a few clues here or there um dog ended up going north probably three four hundred yards and then started going back west and i was kind of watching the wind i'm like he's taking me to where that second deer laid you know he, he's he's winding it he's just taking me back there so i let him go for a while and i mean we're talking seven eight hundred yards we went with no sign and i finally i'm like all right come on we're going back and we're going to start over at this last bed so i, I tried kind of pushing the dog the direction i thought the deer went which I always tell myself not to, I try not to listen to the hunter too much because, you know, angles that they're looking at and stuff in a stand are like, well, the deer went this way and we get down there and it's totally different. So I kind of tried pushing the dog one way or the other. We screwed around there for 
for probably an hour and a half. Finally, the hunter's like, yeah, I don't know if we're going to find this. I says, well, the problem is, is it's going to drive me crazy because I know this deer's dead. And we, we just need to find it. I says, I tell you what, we got to walk back to where our trucks are parked. We got to go that direction anyways, back west. I'm like, why don't we just let the dog take that old track that he originally took? And so we let him take it. And the deer, the second deer was laying there dead within 50 yards of where the first one was. And I pulled the dog 80 yards shy. So I'd have saved myself almost two hours if I just listened to the dog. <laughs> so, but the crazy part about it was, is that deer wasn't there when that guy went there that night to pick up his second deer. So the deer had moved there through the night, you know, so obviously that must've been a, a safe place that them deer wanted to go. And like I said, if I'd have just listened to the dog, I could save myself a whole lot of time. So. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, I personally, I know people have maybe mixed feelings or, or different feelings. Um, I love that deer, the dog tracking has become a big part of, I guess, deer hunting culture and just kind of the way that people operate. If you had to kind of guess how many more deer do you think on a percentage basis are recovered that wouldn't be beforehand that previous to dogs? Cause I can think of, man, I can think of scenarios, you know, as soon as three, four years ago that I'm like, where that, you know, like Jake, the buck we pushed on public land in Oklahoma that we jumped, that was a dead deer. We were going to find that deer. We just ran out of will determination and water when we were out there tracking and it was hot. How many more do you think can be recovered as on a percentage basis? If you just had to kind of guess. Jeez. Um, you know, in my little area that I deal with, you know, compared to the rest of the state, you know, I, we're putting 30 some deer, 30 to 40 deer, you know, on tailgates that normally wouldn't. And, you know, that's a, that's pretty much like 50 mile circle, you know, so that's pretty small. I deal with a, I deal with a bunch of different trackers, I guess, per perspective that I think there's 48 guys I deal with, or I shouldn't say guys, but trackers, guys and girls, um, through, through the state of Michigan. And they, they have a little network that they do. It's uh, Michigan deer tracking network. And the, these guys, I, I can bounce ideas off of, or if I can't cover something, I can see if they can cover it for me. But anyways, last year we recovered over a thousand deer in Michigan. That's um, awesome. I can't remember how many bears, you know, we have bear here and elk, you know, there, there was a handful of each. So you, you start thinking about a thousand animals that would have been, you know, they're, they're not just taken from the hunter. They're taken from every hunter. You know what I mean? Because that animal that's not recovered. So a guy has, you know, a hunter gets two tags. So this hunter goes out and fills two more tags. He really, he really killed three deer, you know, so that, that takes one deer away from the neighbor or whatever else. So, you know, I think it's a, it is a, I don't know where to even put the percentage of it, you know, but yeah, I mean, a thousand deer and that's, that's within 40 guys or, you know, 46, 47 people tracking. That's a lot of, a lot of animals that would have went to waste. I think that's something I haven't even really considered is, you know, we've had these scenarios and each guy can kind of take it differently as they will. I know some folks that if they shoot a deer and they know it's dead, they're like, all right, I'm not going to notch my tag, but I'm going to count that as my tag 
for me personally, just because I know I killed that deer. I personally don't usually operate that way. You know, if I shot one and I wounded it and I know I killed it and I didn't find it, I'm like, well, I didn't find it. You know, that's not a deer. Um, wherever you lie on that kind of line is it. That's interesting to me because you create by not finding a lot of these deer, you're creating more strain on the resource. So if we could find, let's just say we could find 25% more of the deer that are dead ac across a state wide. Like you said, that's thousands of deer mm -hmm. and that, and that, I think that's pretty awesome. That's pretty impactful. That's one of the things I hadn't even really considered about a dog. Yeah. And I mean, that year that I had hit that buck and, and wasn't able to recover it. Um, I got super lucky and a month later, another guy actually recovered it and he found it. And, um, I was actually able to get the deer back, but that deer, you know, that one hit home for me. And I remember stapling my tag in my shop to the wall and being like, you know, I'm saving this tag. If that deer don't come back, I'm, I'm not using this tag on another deer. And, you know, it was kind of nice at the end, you know, a month later, I was able to wrap that tag on that deer. So it, it was, it was pretty cool to do that. But yeah, that's my big thing is like, especially Michigan's a high pressure state, you know, a lot of hunters, a lot of small parcels. So if you get into a decent deer around, I mean, a three-year-old deer around here, I would say is a pretty, pretty decent buck for most people. So you don't get those opportunities, you know, so, so like me being able to ha help people fill their tags, give somebody else the opportunity, you know what I mean? To fill a tag on a, on a decent buck. So, and you know, it doesn't even have to be a decent buck, but what I'm saying is, is fill their tag. You know, you're putting that money, that many more deer that aren't going to waste out there. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think that's awesome. Um, and I definitely respect and admire a lot of the work that you guys are doing. If we had to kind of bring this full circle and, and, and wrap this up, what are, um, what are a couple things that people need to think about or consider or be more diligent about when it comes to recovering deer or to give them a better odds of success this year on recovering deer? Cause we're in the middle of season, it's full swing. And the answer could be call a dog. It could be that simple, but what, what do you think? Obviously, um, he's going to say call a dog. I mean, it's good. You better. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When, when, you know, I always tell people when you're in doubt, back out, you know, the phone calls free, you know, before you, you get into messing a track up and losing an animal. I mean, it's, I, I've had a lot of people call me and, you know, I, I always joke about the deer that you can find over the phone. You know, a lot of guys will call me and be like, well, what do you think? And they'll send me pictures and I'm like, just give it a few hours, go look. You know, and I would rather get that phone call than, yeah, I jumped it or now it's in the neighbors or across the road. Um, big thing, a lot of shot angles, you know, shooting a touch lower than what you're used to. You know, the bottom third is a big deal. Deer drop so fast. I mean, we, there's thousands of videos that show that. Um, keeping everything... You know, I always tell people, use the weapon in the range, it's effective, you know, and I don't want to, I'm not going to, it's going to sound like I'm picking on crossbows, but a lot of these people are shooting crossbows that are, you know, the commercials are telling you, you're shooting, you can shoot a hundred yards, you know, but yeah, the bag target you're shooting at doesn't move, you know, right. so that's a big deal. Um, 
there's a lot of stuff that can happen in that time frame. You know, I would say, you know, your crossbow stuff should be still, you know, archery range stuff, you know, 40 yards, probably max. I know guys are killing deer at 50 and 60, but it's going to be a matter of time before you're calling a dog. Um, but yeah, I mean, shot angles, trying to wait for that either broadside or quarter to way shot it, that ups your odds huge. Um, our number one call, I would say that we recover is probably a quarter two shot. You know, they tuck it in behind the front shoulder, but it exits out the back leg or right in front of the back leg, which they're great tracks for me, but, um, you know, those shots, if you were to just wait, a, wait till the deer was angled the right way, you wouldn't need, you wouldn't need to be calling me. Yeah, that's for sure. So, um, one, one thing I wanted to discuss before, um, and I think this might be before we let you go, I know it's like almost 1030. Um, what does, how does the pricing structure or calling you, what does all that stuff, I'm not asking for yours specifically, or is it a tipping basis? How does that work? Cause I think some folks, um, we've got one of them in the room here. That's just about as cheap as they come. Um, they, you know, they don't want to spend money on anything. And so what, what does it cost for, you know, a typical tracker? Is it tipping? What, how does that work? Everybody kind of has their own way they do it. Um, I know guys that'll, that run just on tips. Um, you know, I kind of have my set. I guess, circle that I make, um, that I cover, you know, and I have like kind of a set price for it. If I got to go any farther than that, I, you know, I add on, I try keeping everything as fair as possible, but $4 and 40 cents for a gallon of fuel really bites into Adds that. Up, you yeah. Know? yeah. Um, so, I mean, it just depends where you're at. I mean, I, myself, I have a set price. And, and that's always talked about prior to, you know, me coming out. So there's no, well, I thought it was going to be this or, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. I'm just up front with it. Um, but there's other guys that do it for tips. There's other guys, you know, probably there's a gentleman that, you know, I watch a lot of what he does and he tracks for free. You know, he runs around, doesn't take tips, doesn't take gas money, loves doing it. Um, and this guy, he jumps in his truck and at the end of the day, he could have four or 500 miles on his pickup. Okay. You know, just, <laughs> it's crazy, you know, um, do I, you know, kind of wish I could do it that way, but it all costs money, you know, fuel in the tank and vet bills and dog food and you know, everything's gone up. So it's, it's a little tough, but well, here, here's one of the questions is, do you share some of this revenue with the dogs? You know, they're out there doing all the work. Do you get them any toys or any rewards for, for good tracks? Cause it sounds like they're putting the miles on the paws during the season. Yeah. Um, like I said, these, these dogs definitely probably get treated a little bit better than any of my other dogs ever have. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and it's funny cause with well, a bloodhound that if you ever do any research on them, they, you know, they, they'll track for, they're always looking for pay. You know what I mean? It's, it's kind of a funny thing. They're always looking for praise. Um, everybody's got their, every dog's got their own thing, but like my male, I mean, he just, he just loves when I give him the attention when he finds that, I mean, he's so driven to find that animal. It's crazy. Um, you know, 
and he just loves that. And he knows he's getting the treat when he gets back to the truck um, through the season. You know, he gets venison all through season. So, he, you know, I think he, he knows that if he does a good job, he's going to get treated well. So, yeah, he def- they definitely get spoiled, you know, especially in the off season. That's awesome. Well, um, I know it's past 1030 where you're at. Um, for maybe some Michigan folks that listen to the podcast or are connected with us, where can people find and connect with you to either follow what you're doing or just maybe use some of your tracking services? Um, I've got a Facebook page, uh, Get More Game Recovery. It's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. Got all my information on there. Um, like I said, I deal with um, my network of, of trackers. And that's uh, Michigan Deer Tracking Network. And we actually have a map made up, which is nice because it's listed by county. You know, so, so your local trackers, their name's listed, their phone numbers are listed. Um, so you're not just calling anybody. You're calling somebody that's halfway local. Um, you know, and, and that's one thing that I'd recommend to all hunters. You know, it, even though you, everybody wants to have my phone number, they just never want to call it. But they, uh, you know, make contact with a guy that's, you know, in your county or the next county over and, and, and find out what he recommends, what his costs are, what, you know, so when that time comes, you know, you're not trying to like, oh, you know, I didn't know this is what it was going to entail or this is what I should have did or, you know, stuff like that. Kind of get an idea what, how they want to run that, you know, because if they're the ones going to help you, it's the best thing to do. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's, like I said, there's people kind of stretched all over. And I know that, you know, some other states are kind of following suit, you know, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Iowa just became legal not that many years ago. I don't know if they, you know, they sounds like they're trying to get a network started where they can try to help out. But that's what, that's what I would do is, you know, look on some of these Facebook pages and, and see if you can find a local tracker and just touch base with them. That wouldn't be something to do. Just just create a fake profile as a tracker, and then when people call you, just be like, "Oh yeah, uh, on public land." Okay, yeah, drop me a pin. <laughs> you immediately have access. How big to, is it? <laughs> yeah, to new spots. Yeah, and it's funny because we, we got some public land near me, and um, I hunt it occasionally. But it's funny the pins that I have dropped from years previous. You know, like. I try to hunt, like I said, Michigan's pretty pressured state and I try to hunt like escape routes or where I think deer are going to go when they're pressured. And I get called to go into some of these blocks of woods to track and we'll go right by these trees I have pinned, you know, like, (laughs) you know, it's like, well, I guess I must've did something right. Cause I figured that, you know, was able to figure out this is where they want to go and, you know, kind of gives you a little bit more confidence of, of that's where they're going to try to escape when, when they're trying to get out of the way. Yeah. Yes. No. So, so your onyx of Michigan probably looks like a Christmas tree. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, bet. I bet. That's awesome. Yeah, there's stuff all over and tracks all over. And, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm always roaming a GPS and running tracking on my onyx. You know, it's, yeah, there's a lot of blue lines running around. We'll put it that way. Yeah. I bet. There we go. Well, Chad, thanks so much for, for jumping on. This has been really insightful and, uh, we definitely appreciate it. And we'll, we'll have to do this again sometime. Maybe if you shoot a big buck this season or want to talk about tracking again. Yeah. Look me up. I can, 
no, honestly, talk for hours. I got stories and, you know, a lot of guys, it's funny when you get into talking to some people, I talked to a couple clubs, local clubs, and some guys are there to listen and some guys are there to drink the beer, you know, so it's just, <laughs> well, <laughs> anybody that's willing to listen, sometimes I'm willing to talk. So there we go. Well, thanks again, man. We really appreciate it. Hey, not a problem. All right. Take it easy, man. Yeah. All right. All right. Dude, that was awesome. That was, that was, dude, he seemed, uh, he seemed like one of those guys that, that he would just roll up to deer camp and you just be like, all right, there's a lawn chair. There's a cooler beer. Let's have a good time. Good old boy. He does. He does sound yeah. like that. And you really don't get that vibe from, from, uh, many, many Michigan folk. <laughs> you don't think so? <laughs> I'm just messing. I was going to say, I haven't talked to many Michiganders, so yeah. I don't know. But no, he was an awesome, awesome dude. He runs legit blood, bloodhounds. And like he said, you know, going on a hundred tracks a year for the last four years, That's that crazy. dude's seen more tracks than we're ever going to see in a lifetime. So for people that still want to sit back and argue, argue with people that have the data. It's not us. We're just sharing the message. So, and by the way, shoot him in. I'd rather shoot him in the guts and the shoulder any day. That's we should have asked him about the, uh, about the, uh, Texas heart shot. Oh God. That's what, what is there to know? <laughs> What's the recovery percentage? Like is, is shooting him in the rump better than the shoulder? Oh, uh, dude, it can't be any worse. You heard it. He said, he said, <laughs> you shoot on, coming. <laughs> he said, you shoot on the shoulder. I'm not sure. <laughs> That's awesome. I want to tell Lloyd that next time, like Lloyd, listen, this is what you're doing wrong. Uh, everybody. It's like, I'm busting shoulders. It's like, come on, man. Come yeah, on. Dude. You're shooting a sharp stick. You're not hitting him with a baseball bat. Gosh, that no. was awesome. I, I learned was. a lot, but we, we do need to have him back on though. He, he sounds like, uh, he sounds like he has some, uh, some hunting stories and probably go along with tips and tactics. I'm sure. I'm sure he could, but we wanted to get him on. Um, it's deer season's in full swing. Um, the best part of the season is coming up in the next three weeks. So yes. we're about to go on our two week long, uh, trip here in about 10 days. I can't believe I'm saying that dear Lord. It, it's, it's, it's coming. It's coming dude. October's like almost over. It seems like. Yeah. Dude. Um, we've hunted the last four weekends or at least I've hunted the last four weekends and traveled. My brain's kind of scatterbrained and it's not, it's just now I'm just now realizing that it's basically the best part of the season's coming up. So More to come I'm on. ready. I'm ready. And I hope that everyone that listened got some sort of value out of that conversation. And what, what would you, what did you derive from the whole conversation? I basically got be diligent. Don't get it antsy and call a freaking dog that's that's basically what i learned yeah i mean basically basically trust your gut i mean if if you think you need to back out then it's kind of like anything back out you know like if it doesn't feel right just give it more give it more time until you know you feel more comfortable but uh yeah and then also don't hug the shoulder don't hug the shoulder that's like the biggest takeaway for me from the whole thing. I was like, okay, he said it, not hooking the shoulder. Now I'm not going to try to shoot him in the guts, but heck no, you know what I mean? No, but when he said, you know, aim lower third, if you hit a deer low, it's a lot better than hitting it high. And if you hit it further back, it's a lot better than hitting it forward. And it's like, but what is it? What does half the people show? Like, you know, where, where do half the people show you when you learn growing up shooting a rifle? It's like, all right, you're going to put it right here on the shoulder. 
you're going to break both shoulders. And it's like, dude, yeah. okay. My bow doesn't shoot 2,700 feet per second either. You know, like you got to have a different approach. You're trying to kill an, an animal with a sharp stick. And so if I have to miss, I don't want to miss. I want to freaking be Robin Hood. But if I have to, I'd rather miss low and I'd rather miss back. And that's, you, you heard what he said. You hit one in the guts, 90% recovery rate if you don't like go down the track. Yeah, yeah. You'll usually find it in, in the first bed because they don't like to move. They don't like to move. If they get gut shot, they don't move. They're like, ow, this hurts. I want to go lay down. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to be characterized as like the king of gut shots or like the lovers of gut shots because I don't. We've all we don't. We don't. <laughs> but it gives me a lot more confidence and hope, you know. For sure. Well, we can wrap this episode. It's 941 where we're at. He stayed on the phone with us till past 1030. So if you yeah. guys are in Michigan, please use him just as a thank you for what we just did to him on this podcast. That is true. You know, you know, the whole time he was just like, man, I wish these guys would quit asking me questions. Bloodhounds <laughs> are awesome, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, um, that wraps our uh, get more game recovery, blood tracking, or sorry, blood tracking, deer tracking dog episode. So if you guys got any questions, hit chat up. We don't know anything about tracking yeah, dogs. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Good answer, good answer. Yeah, well, we will uh, we'll catch like you guys that. in the next. What? <laughs> I was going to say just like family, family feud, as soon as they say the dumbest answer, everybody's like, good answer, good answer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, uh, we're going to wrap this one. So thank you guys for watching. Make sure to go check out the YouTube. If you haven't, leave us a rating or review wherever you're listening to this. And we'll catch you guys in the next one. Jesus loves you. Bye. Thank you guys so much for checking out the Hunter's Advantage podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcast, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you guys so much, and we'll see you in the next episode.